0: to Budweiser's weekday sports beat.
1: I'm catching on the hosel, right? Yeah, right, right. Moving my head. Yeah. Clearing too early. I'm clearing too late. My sling feels like an unfolding lawn chair. The crowd is just on its feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess. Four, please. Darren Pritchett is now
0: broadcasting. Oh, wow! In your life have you seen anything like that? On Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on this Tuesday, July the 19th of 2022. Sunshine and 88 degrees in downtown South Bend. Darren Pritchett with you. Thanks for joining me on 960 AM WSBT. We are streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on our free WSBT radio app. And also, we are broadcasting on the Twitch app. If you have the free Twitch app, just search Sports Radio 960 WSBT and you'll, you'll get a little video along with the audio that you normally receive. For the next two hours, we're talking local sports and more here on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat which is being brought to you by our title sponsor, Budweiser. The King of Beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend baseball fans. This Bud's for you. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. By Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt, don't shop. Where new beginnings have happy endings. And by Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger. Serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. Well, I'm going to be enjoying a little vacation time Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So, this is my final show for the week here on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. We've got two hours coming your way. The South Bend Cubs are once again idle today. They do not play again until Friday. And tonight it is the Midsummer Classic for Major League Baseball, the All-Star Game taking place at Dodger Stadium in Chavez Ravine, the National League versus the America League. You can hear the game on WSBT Radio via ESPN radio. Pre-game at seven first pitch a little after eight o'clock, right here on Sports Radio 960. WSBT coming up on our program. We've got our Twitter question of the day coming up, and it has to do with the TV rights for Notre Dame football at 540. A little look back to the last time that the all-star game was at Dodger stadium in Los Angeles for a portion of our listening audience. They were not born yet. For some of us, we were old enough to remember what happened that particular night or some of the players that took place in that all-star game back in 1980. So we'll reminisce coming up in just a little bit. Are my five question of the day, my five memories of major league baseball, all-star game pass in the six o'clock hour, Notre Dame football getting set to take on the Ohio state Buckeyes in their season opener, September 3rd, right here on WSBT radio And the Irish will face one of the top quarterbacks in the country, a player that is expected to be a top five pick in the 2023 NFL draft. We're talking about Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud. Daniel Jeremiah, who is really good at breaking down film, works for the NFL Network. He broke down the film of C.J. Stroud. So through his eyes and understanding of the game of football and breaking down of talents, we'll give you a little idea what we might expect when the Irish take on C.J. Stroud in less than 50 days. We'll have our sports wagering segment coming up in the 6 o'clock hour, and we will have a different guest Tuesday at 6.07. Normally we talk Notre Dame football recruiting with Mike Singer, the Notre Dame football recruiting insider for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Mike is on vacation, so sliding up a day is the Notre Dame football beat reporter for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, Tyler Horka. And we're going to ask Tyler about what we should all expect at the quarterback position at the start of fall camp. How are things going to play out? Are we going to have a quick resolution to who the starter is going to be? And also, what defensive player is he most interested in seeing on the practice field? We will talk Notre Dame football with Tyler Horka coming up in about 50 minutes, right here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. The first pitch of the first pitch of the night, and we are ready for the first pitch of- into the wind in of his first offering, just a bit
2: outside. He tried the corner and missed.
1: Well, a couple of first pitches tonight. The Fighting Irish are trying to deliver a pitch up and into LSU and the rest of the Southeastern Conference. Jaden Osbury is a four-star linebacker that the Fighting Irish are trying to gain the services of for their class of 2023 that already has 20 members right now. Ohio State and Notre Dame have been going back and forth in the number one and number two spots in the team rankings for the class of 2023, Osberry would solidify Notre Dame's stance as the number one team of the country for the class of 2023. Osberry is from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. In fact, I'm told his high school campus is right next to or on the LSU campus. I mean, how could LSU let one of the best prospects in the class of 2023 from under their nose get away? That couldn't happen, couldn't? I mean, doesn't LSU have one of the great recruiting head coaches in the country? Oh, oops, my mistake. No, they don't. Osbury is going to make his college choice known on August the 4th on CBS Sports HQ. He's going to have a lot of hats on the table. Seven. The seven teams he'll be choosing from. Alabama. Auburn, where his brother is a defensive back. Florida. He could end up with the family at LSU, where his dad went to school. Michigan. Texas A&M, and last but certainly not least, the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. Osbury, six foot 202, on three consensus has, Osbury as the number nine linebacker in the country and the 115th best player in the class of 2023. Now Mike Singer, who I just talked about a moment ago, Notre Dame football recruiting insider for Blue and Gold Illustrated has put in his pick that Osbury will in fact pick the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. Recently, Osbury talked to On 3's Sam Spiegelman and said, quote, this quote is kind of amusing if you really dig deeper, quote, I really like Notre Dame now that coach Marcus Freeman is the coach. He recruited me last year as the defensive coordinator. So we're already have that good relationship. I know Al Washington because he recruited me at Ohio state. So I know a lot of people up there, including some of the players End quote, Al Washington, of course, is the defensive line coach for Marcus Freeman here in South Bend. Formerly was with Ohio state. I really like Notre Dame now that Coach Freeman is the coach, says a lot. Brian Kelly has not been able to secure those blue chips from the state of Louisiana. And how about this? Again, if in fact what I'm told is true, that this high school campus is next to or on the edge of the LSU campus, for Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame to beat LSU for him, wow. Wow. Now, maybe he wants to get away from Baton Rouge. Who knows? But apparently, he thinks enough of Baton Rouge and LSU to put them in his finalist list. This would be a coup. This would, I think, tickle every Irish fan to no end if Marcus Freeman gets this kid basically off the LSU campus. And again, Alabama, Auburn, Florida, LSU, Texas A&M, A big batch of Southeastern Conference teams, where it just means more, are going after Osbury. But according to On3 Consensus, Mike Singer, Osbury's going to pick the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame, bringing their class total to 21. How about that? And if he picks Notre Dame, then we all get to talk again about how the Irish got him from Brian Kelly off basically Kelly's campus. Oof. LSU fans are going to be in for a big surprise when it comes to how much their head coach recruits. They want to give us a call up here. We could give them a little sample of what to expect. It wasn't always awful, but there was a lot of good people around the head coach here to improve those recruiting classes. So we'll keep an eye on Jaden Osberry four-star linebacker from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chances are very good. He will pick the Fighting Irish over six other schools on August the 4th, 7.30 on CBS Sports HQ. That is CBS Sports Internet Channel. Very interesting. The second first pitch of the night. No partnership for two conferences in trouble. Pete Thamel of ESPN.com put this story out last night that the Big 12 has called off any further negotiations with the Pacific 12 Conference about a merger. And i got to be honest with you. I don't know what the Big 12 is thinking. The Big 12 is acting like they're 7 feet tall when they're about 5'8". They think they're a 10. They're about a 6 right now. When you take away Texas and Oklahoma from the Big 12, can someone please paint me a picture of what exactly the Big 12 has so great that they don't think merging with the Pac-12 will make them better? If you put the Pac-12 and the Big 12 together, the top two teams, when you factor in market size, profitability, to me are Washington and Oregon. Those two teams are not in the Big 12 Conference. It sure the heck isn't Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, TCU, Texas Tech. Oklahoma State's a fine program. But just because you're a fine program doesn't mean you get in the club. The exclusive club. The super conference club. There's a lot of really good schools on the outside looking in right now. I know Stanford's been down for a few years. But they had been really good for a good amount of time before this recent stretch. But it's not like there must get for these conferences. I I just don't get what 12 is thinking at this particular time. Apparently, the Big 12 of the Pac-12 had been talking for a couple of weeks, but then Monday, the Big 12 officials told the Pac-12 officials they're no longer interested in exploring the partnership. Again, Pete Thamel of ESPN.com had the story and he writes, a Big 12 source SAID THAT THE DEAL DIDN'T WORK FOR THE BIG 12 FOR A MULTITUDE OF REASONS, WHICH INCLUDED THE FACT THAT ANY POTENTIAL DEAL WOULDN'T HAVE DRIVEN MUCH REVENUE FOR THE LEAGUE. IT JUST DIDN'T WORK. A PAC-12 SOURCE BRIEFED ON THE CONVERSATION SAID THAT THE BIG 12 HAD EXPRESSED INTEREST ON FRIDAY IN POSSIBLY EXPLORING A FULL MERGER. THE BIG 12 SOURCE TOLD PETE THAMEL. Three options were laid out by the Pac-12. Pooling rights, a scheduling concept, or fully combining the leagues. But the only scenario that could have potentially driven value because of the sheer numbers of schools and population areas was a full merger of the leagues. I just wonder the distribution of revenue is going to be the next really big way of doing things in these conferences. If you're Ohio State in the Big Ten, shouldn't you get more revenue than Rutgers? If you're Clemson, shouldn't you get more than Boston College? Seems logical. Now, according to this story, a Big 12 source said the Big 12 needed more time to explore the options further. When it did over the weekend, they decided not to explore any options further. I don't get what the Big 12 is seeing in their future that is going to be better than what they have right now. Standing Pat... And I know they're adding Cincinnati, BYU, yeah, 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 great. Those are nice secondary pieces. That's all really they can gather at this particular time. I don't get why they wouldn't want Oregon and Washington. Now, I know you just can't take those two, but sometimes you have to take everything to get what you really want. So the Big 12 is going to be in an interesting spot soon without Texas and Oklahoma. There's just not a lot of pizzazz in that conference from a media standpoint of the possibility of hitting the jackpot with TV revenue. I mean, look at the market sizes of these schools. I just wonder if the Big 12 will reconsider. Maybe they're just taking a step back for now. Maybe they have something cooking that we don't know about. Maybe they go to the East Coast and try to grab teams from the ACC and bring them to the Big 12. I mean, the Big 12 already has West Virginia, which you talk about a fish out of water. Like, West Virginia, nobody wants West Virginia. No disrespect to West Virginia. I've never been to West Virginia. I don't think I've ever known a West Virginia fan. I just remember the last time there in South Bend, their mascot kept shooting off his musket or whatever it was and scared the living daylights out of me. But West Virginia's just kind of like the team, Big Ten, eh? Nah. ACC, eh? Nah. Big Twelve, eh? Nah, all right, yeah. Come on, you'll bring us something from the East Coast. So maybe that's what the Big Twelve will try to do. Maybe they'll try to tie into some of the ACC ACC schools that possibly could be left behind once they begin to get cherry-picked, which seems like will happen at some point with schools like Miami, Florida State, Clemson, Virginia, North Carolina. If you're the Big 12, do you look at North Carolina State, Wake Forest, Boston College, Virginia Tech? Maybe they see some of those teams more profitable than going to the West Coast. If you're the Big 12, is it more valuable to fill some of the 10 o'clock time slots late on a Saturday compared to trying to go toe-to-toe with the Big Ten, the SEC, and Notre Dame in the afternoon on a Saturday. They got a lot of thinking to do because the Big 12 as is is nowhere near the Big Ten of the SEC. The Pac-12 has been exploring all options since UCLA and USC departed. They're still trying to figure out what they're going to do at this particular moment. So everything is stalled after USC and UCLA went to the Big Ten. We're kind of in a holding pattern right now. There was the report yesterday from CBS Sports' Dennis Dodd that Notre Dame... Would remain an independent if they could get $75 million annually from NBC, but NBC needs a little something else to go along with it for their college football future. The Big 12 a possibility. I, I just, if you're the NBC, do you want the Big 12? Live from Ames, Iowa, you are looking live at Manhattan, Kansas. Kansas where today the Baylor Bears take on the Kansas State Wildcats. Meanwhile, the SEC game of the week will be going to ESPN in a couple of years. Meanwhile, at the same time, you've got the Auburn Tigers welcoming the Tennessee Volunteers. I mean, you talk about a slaughter. They could save a lot of money on NBC on broadcasters because nobody's going to be watching those games. So the Big 12 says no thanks to any merger with the Pac-12. I'm just really curious what they're going to do. And, again, I think they may be too fond of themselves right now. They might be in for a rude awakening soon, unless they try to go to the East Coast and grab some of those teams. If that's the case, I understand it. Otherwise, going alone is an interesting choice. 526 is our time. Darren Pritchett with you. Budweiser's Weekday sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame, Sports Radio 960, WSBT. Coming up in a couple of moments, we've got our Twitter question of the day, and it centers around meteorites and Notre Dame football. It's the summer of winning with John's Auto Spa double bingo game. Grab your bingo card and play for big cash jackpots at michianabingo.com. And don't forget to use the REMAX 100 free space in the center. The jackpot grows daily by 100 bucks All summer long, tons of cash and prizes given away at Michiana's Virtual Double Bingo Game. For rules and your bingo cards, head to michianabingo.com. Michiana's Virtual Double Bingo Game is also brought to you by Benchmark Human Services, Christensen Furniture, Benno Golf Club, and McAdoo's Family Restaurant. 527 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
0: This is the Budweiser's Weekday Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
1: Twenty-eight minutes in front of 6 o'clock, Sports Beat continues on your home for tonight's Major League Baseball All-Star Game. Well, we've got a couple of Twitter questions of the day to talk about. First, yesterday's question, which was posted on my Twitter account at 960 SportsBeat. The question was, in this hypothetical, what do you believe gives your favorite college football team the best chance to win a national championship? Choice number one, elite offense with an average defense. The other choice, average offense with elite defense. And for the first time since we started these Twitter questions of the day back on Sports beat AM last summer. We have a draw, 50-50. 50% 50 said elite offense, average defense. 50% average offense, elite defense. I think it depends on what era you're from. If you are more of a veteran college football fan, you've seen a lot that has come and gone, then you're probably going to say average offense, elite defense, because we've always been told defenses win championships. But then the new generation has watched Ed Orgeron, Joe Burrow, that crew just put up video game type numbers on offense on their way to a national championship. Now their defense was pretty good. It was better than average, but that offense was electric. Alabama has went from ground and pound to throw in the football all over the place. In their recent national championships, their defenses have been always above average, but I wouldn't say more than maybe one was elite, elite. So I think it's, it's really changed in how we take a look at the billing of a college football team. Of course, you want greatness in both, But in that hypothetical, we're split 50-50 on the correct answer. Personally, based on how today's game is being played, I would rather have the elite offense over the elite defense. I can put up a lot of points on the board, put a lot of pressure on the opposition, come after the other team's quarterback, maybe be a little more aggressive on defense. So I'm going to go with the elite offense. Now to today's Twitter question of the day. Who do you hope wins the rights to Notre Dame football home games? Now, Dennis Dodd, CBSSports.com, put out the story yesterday updating some items surrounding Notre Dame football. He mentioned over the next couple of weeks, negotiations for Notre Dame football home games will be underway. NBC, of course, has had the game since 1991. We'll see if they want to... Come up a little more cash to keep Notre Dame football on NBC. So who do you hope wins the rights to Notre Dame football home games? I'm giving you four choices today. You can stick with old reliable NBC. And you might be stuck with a broadcast team that is not going to be anywhere close to as good as what we've had the last couple of years. CBS is losing the SEC, so would you like to see Notre Dame football home games on CBS? They have their number one broadcast team that would be looking for a new opportunity, Brad Nessler and Gary Danielson. They would be a heck of a lot better than what we're hearing the NBC crew is going to be. So that would be a plus. Their 3.30 time slots open. I'm sure they would be okay with a 2.30 time slot for some Notre Dame football home games. Choice number three on who do you hope wins the rights to Notre Dame football home games. We'll put ABC ESPN as a combination. Obviously they are partners. They share a lot of programming. You could put, I'm sure, Notre Dame football games at home in primetime on ABC. That would be pretty doggone lucrative for ABC. I guess Fowler and Street would be your voices. Again, a big improvement over the perceived NBC crew for this year. And your fourth choice would be Fox. Now this is going to be something you're either going to love or you're absolutely going to dislike. So I'll say it quick and duck. But I'm wondering, would Notre Dame fans be okay with Gus Johnson calling Notre Dame football home games? The always excitable Gus Johnson. When he was doing the NCAA basketball tournament, the crazy games... Always were with Gus with that microphone wrapped around his face. Now maybe you get a different combination. Brady Quinn would be in play on Fox. So there you go. You have your say. As a college football fan, I'm sure you watch games on all of these networks. Who do you hope wins the rights to Notre Dame football home games? NBC, CBS, the ABC ESPN combination or Fox. If you're basing it on broadcasters, you should eliminate NBC right away. The other three have stellar broadcast teams ready to go. Alright, so we'll see how that vote turns out. You can vote right now. Tonight, tomorrow, the next day on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. That is 960 Sportsbeat. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back with more Budweiser's weekday sports beat. It is 5:39 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. 17 minutes in front of 6 o'clock. Sportsbeat continues on WSBT Radio, WSBTradio.com, our free WSBT Radio app and our new venture. We have a site now on the Twitch app. Just search Sports Radio 960, WSBT. Sportsbeat brought to you by Budweiser, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, Pet Refuge, and Barnaby's of Mishawaka, And Granger. Well, the Midsummer Classic is tonight at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles, the home of the L.A. Dodgers. 1980 was the last time the Dodgers hosted the All-Star Game. You have to take a look at between 1980 and now, a lot of new ballparks have opened in Major League Baseball. And at some point, all of those new ballparks get an All-Star Game to help show off their new digs, so Dodger Stadium, that classic old stadium from the 1960s. In fact, I've heard people say that it been the Dodger Stadium. It's really like going back to the 1960s when you walk into Dodger Stadium. It's been a long time since 1980. Think about how old we were in 1980. Some of you were not even born yet, but the last time the All-Star Game was held at Dodger Stadium Here's some of the fun facts. There were 11 Hall of Famers in the 1980 All-Star Game, and this is such a stellar list of ballplayers led by one of the best left-handed hitters of all time, Rod Crew. That little slap of the bat he would have, that little quick little jab swing, and just he would maneuver the ball wherever it needed to go. It was so good with the bat in hand. Carlton Fisk, who, of course, famously was on a rehab assignment with the old South Bend White Sox, many a moons ago. And I've heard the story from people at the ballpark that during that rehab assignment with South Bend, he hit the baseball on top of the synagogue beyond the left field fence. In fact, if you go to the synagogue during a South Bend Cubs game, or now the Cubs den, there is a plaque right by the door telling the story about Carlton Fiske, hitting the old synagogue in downtown South Bend. Also, Hall of Famers that played in the 1980 All-Star Game. The guy who stole more bases than anybody else, Ricky Henderson. He was an Oakland athletic at that particular time, a guy that went on to be a Chicago Cub, Hall of Fame pitcher, Rich Goose Gossage. Then you've got a couple of, boy, really good Milwaukee Brewer players, Hall of Famers, Two guys that came so close to winning a World Series title in 1982 before losing in Game 7 to St. Louis, Paul Molitor and Robin Yount. Other Hall of Famers at Dodger Stadium, the last time the All-Star game was there, the Tigers' Alan Trammell, one of the greatest catchers of all time, Johnny Bench, a guy we can put in that same category, Gary Carter. He would have been a Montreal Expo at that particular time. Also, one of the greatest third basemen of all time, Michael Jack Schmidt was in that All-Star game in 1980, and also Dave Winfield. Would he have been a Padre at that time? I'm trying to think. 1980, he wouldn't have been a New York Yankee, I don't believe, as of yet. In that All-Star game at Dodger Stadium, there were six Dodgers that made the game. Only their third baseman, Ron Say, did not make the All-Star team from their infield. They had first baseman Steve Garvey, second baseman Davey Lopes. The shortstop was Bill Russell. I think there was a year for the All-Star game, Garvey, Lopes, Russell, and Say all were voted in as starters. Also from that Dodger team in 1980, the first guy that I ever truly rooted for from an individual standpoint. Now, he was a Cardinal at the time, but good old Reggie Smith was on that Dodger team and a part of the All-Star Game at Dodger Stadium in 1980. Another old Cardinal, left-hander Jerry Royce, and also Bob Welch. Now, the Chicago Cubs had two representatives in the All-Star Game at Dodger Stadium back in 1980, and one of those two was a Hall of Famer. In fact, I don't know why he's not on the other list. I'm just noticing that. This is another Hall of Famer, Bruce Souter. He's in the Baseball Hall of Fame along with Dave Kingman. King Kong Kingman was a member of the Chicago Cubs at that particular time. Now, he's not a Hall of Famer like Suter, but both were members of the Chicago Cubs. And I would think, if we're talking 1980, it would be in the next year, year and a half off the top of my head that the Cubs – would lose Bruce Souter. He'd end up with St. Louis, part of that 82 championship team. There was one representative from the Chicago White Sox in that 1980 All-Star game, and I'm not sure you're going to find a bigger Notre Dame fan than this guy, the late Ed Farmer, who, of course, was a broadcaster for the White Sox, but also a very good pitcher back in the day. And he pitched at Dodger Stadium in that 1980 All-Star game. And there were a couple of Detroit Tigers in that All-Star game at Chavez Ravine back in 1980. Lance Parrish, the great Tiger catcher. And again, Alan Trammell, the Tiger shortstop in the game. Back then, the National League dominated the All-Star game. The National League won that particular game 4-2. Ken Griffey Sr., The Cincinnati Red outfielder had a home run in the game. He would go on to be named the most valuable player of that 1980 All-Star game. That was the year before the strike in which in 1981 we had the strike in the middle of the season. So when the season stopped, they ended up picking playoff teams from the best teams there. And then when they got over the strike and got back to playing baseball, they had what they called the second half of the season, and more people qualified for the postseason. I remember the drama surrounding with the way Major League Baseball handled that particular year. I'm trying to remember. Did four teams make the playoffs from each league that year? I wish I could remember, but I do recall – that in the National League, the two teams with the best record overall that season, neither one made the playoffs. Since they were split into two halves, they just were not in the right spot in the standings to make the playoffs. But the Reds and the Cardinals had the best records in the National League in 81. Neither team made the postseason. I guess St. Louis got a little revenge the next year, winning the World Series. So tonight... The Chicago Cubs have Wilson Contreras and Ian Happ as representatives. Contreras will be the starting catcher for the National League. He will bat sixth. Many believe he will not be wearing that Cub uniform much longer. I still think the perfect fit for Wilson Contreras is the Houston Astros. I know they've got a young catcher they brought up on a part-time basis due to injury. Corey Lee, they really like him. Maldonado is a defensive catcher who has some pop. Not going to hit for a lot of average or on base. Handles the pitching staff well. So if you bring Contreras to Houston, you take a step down defensively from Maldonado, but a big step up offensively. So we'll see as we edge closer to the trade deadline, the fate of Wilson Contreras. There are a couple of White Sox in the game, but the guy most deserving of any White Sox player is not there. The guy with the fifth best ERA in the America League is not of the game. Even after all the injuries and people pitching on Sunday and they can't pitch in the All-Star game, they need replaced. Dylan Cease did not make the All-Star team, and I cannot understand how that was missed. The former South Bend Cub and Chicago Cub prospect that was traded, of course, for Jose Quintana along with Aloy Jimenez. For some reason, Cease is not in the game. But the Sox have two representatives, one in the starting lineup. Tim Anderson will play shortstop and bat seven for the America League. And Liam Hendricks, a late addition to the all-star team, a part of the America League bullpen. So we've got the fall classic coming up tonight. Hopefully the National League can pick up a win. They have not won a whole lot the last 12, 15 years, at least from a National League fan's standpoint. 5.53. Is our time? We'll come back with a My Five Question of the day, Question of the Day next on Sports Radio nine sixty WSBT.
0: One question, five answers. This is the My Five Question of the Day on Sports Radio nine sixty WSBT.
1: Darren Pritchett back with you on Sports Beat five fifty seven on this Tuesday evening. The My 5 question of the day. Five games or events that come to mind for me when I think about the Major League Baseball All-Star Game through the years. Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. Coming in at number five, the 1999 All-Star Game at Fenway Park. That was the night that they wheeled out the great Ted Williams to the middle of the diamond out the first pitch. Before the first pitch... All the players gathered around Williams. There was the story that Williams leaned over to Mark McGuire and asked him something to the effect of, when you centered the baseball, could you smell your bat burning, that burning smell of the wood bat? McGuire said, oh, yeah, Williams could as well. Williams threw out the first pitch. And it was just one of those special nights at Fenway Park. I think that was also the night that Pedro Martinez was just absolutely striking out all these great National League players. But Ted Williams throwing out the first pitch and all the players gathering around him, Tony Gwynn, it was just one of those really special Major League Baseball All-Star Game moments. Number four, I wasn't born yet, but I've seen the highlights. The 1971 All-Star Game at old Tiger Stadium in Detroit. The Oakland A's Reggie Jackson from the left-handed batter's box unleashed a Ruthian-type shot atop the roof at Tiger Stadium, hitting with the transformer up there. One of the longest home runs you will see. And I'm sure at some point tonight, if Fox is going through all-star game memories, you will see Reggie Jackson, I think, with his white spikes on, like the A's used to wear, hitting just an unbelievable home run.
0: Okay, okay. Uh, Number three.
1: Well, as a kid, I had a lot of favorite players besides the players on my team. And a guy I always appreciated, I think because he was left-handed and played center field like I did. But Fred Lynn won the Rookie of the Year and the AL MVP Award in the same year in 75. And in 1983 at Old Comiskey Park on the south side of Chicago, Fred Lynn hit the only Grand Slam in All-Star Game history. He hit it off the Giants at Lee Hamaker. And to this day, no one else has hit a home run, so the Angels' number 19 Fred Lynn popped one over the right field fence at Comiskey Park, and still to this day, the only Grand Salami hit in the Midsummer Classic. Number two. Number two, the 2002 Major League Baseball All-Star Game, which caused a lot of chaos for years to come. That was the All-Star Game in Milwaukee, That ended in a tie. Bud Selig, the commissioner, made the call to halt the game. Teams running out of pitching. Not too long after, they felt like, well, we've got to make the game important. So the league with the victory of the All-Star game, they got the home field advantage in the World Series, which was just a lousy idea. It's still an exhibition. It should be treated as an exhibition, as it will be tonight. But the tie game caused a lot of headaches for the Major League Baseball commissioner's office. And if there is a tie after nine innings tonight, they're going to go the direction of Dick Nussbaum, the old Midwest League commissioner. In the 2019 Midwest League All-Star game at Four Winds Field in downtown South Bend, our All-Star game was tied after nine innings. We went to a home run derby. To decide the winner and tonight three players for each side will be picked i think they each get three swings and the team with the most home runs is declared the winner of the all-star game so we will not have extra innings tonight number one and for me my favorite game or event centered around the major league baseball all-star game this is not going to be on anyone else's list but my list has the 2009 all-star game because that's the one I got to attend it was at Bush Stadium in St. Louis sat in the last row of the upper deck directly behind home plate I got the tickets from a then Major League Baseball umpire and just took in the day in downtown South Bend was there for batting practice the announcement of all the players and a cool moment the legendary Stan Musial in a golf cart Had the first pitch baseball in hand. He brought it to the infield where President Barack Obama took the ball from Stan the Man and threw out the first pitch. One of my favorites, Sarah Evans, sang, I think, God bless America. A stealth bomber went overhead. It was just an amazing night to be there in person. Again, not an overly memorable night. I don't think there was any big special play in the game. But for me personally, being there, Seeing all those great players in one game was pretty cool. And let's just keep it the way it is. It's an exhibition. That's the My five question of the day. It is 6.03. We've got a Sports Center update coming up in just a moment. Tyler Horka talks Notre Dame football next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Tyler Horka, who's normally on Wednesday, moves up a day. He's kind enough to join me to talk some Notre Dame football right now on Sports Radio 960. WSBT. Well, I guess a Texas guy can handle this South Bend warm weather like it's nothing. Piece of cake.
2: Yeah, I think I'm starting to lose some of that. um, I don't know what you would call it. Protection that I've, you know, (laughs) that are in the genes after growing up in in Texas for 22 years. But yeah, it's a little hot, but it's definitely hotter in Texas today. I can guarantee that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I would definitely say so. We're just not used to it around here. We've had such a cool spring and summer so far, but here we go with some warmer weather and just in time for Notre Dame football fall camp to get started in just a couple of weeks. And Tyler, you're the Notre Dame football beat reporter for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Let's go right into what is going to be a featured topic throughout the month of August or until the point where Marcus Freeman steps up to the microphone and says... Blank is my starting quarterback for Ohio State. You've got Drew Pine and Tyler Buckner looking to become the starting quarterback. I think most of us agree Buckner is the favorite. Pine is pushing him. How do you think this quarterback situation or derby plays out throughout the month of August?
2: I'm sorry, Jared, My headphones just cut out on me, but I think I know where you were going with that question. Uh, look, Tyler. Tyler Buckner has been the guy since Jack Cohn left after, after the Fiesta Bowl. That's where this thing has been headed. We had, you know, a, a month and a half or a, about a month there in the spring to solidify that stance, if, if that's what you thought. And I think pretty much every single media member on the Notre Dame beat would agree that, you know, Tyler Buckner is probably number one, Drew Pine is number two, and that's the way it played out in the spring. Obviously, Marcus Freeman – did not say that Tyler Buckner is the starter coming out of spring. And in fact, um, Patrick Ingle my coworker and I sat in his office. This might've been two or three weeks ago now uh, at the end of June and, you know, asked him pointedly, did you have a number one coming out of the spring? And he said, no, it's still an open competition. So obviously that's going to carry into fall camp, which starts on August 5th. Uh, there's still something that Freeman is looking for from Buckner probably. Uh, there's still something that Tommy Reese is looking for from Buckner, but I think it's more so of they're looking for reasons why Drew Pine can't, you know, weasel his way back into this and say what about me? They want to make sure that when they say Tyler Buckner is our starter, they are 100% on board with that. There is no substitute. Drew Pine did all he could, but he's just not better athletically throwing the ball, whatever it is, than Tyler Buckner. Like I said, I think that's where this is headed and it's going to happen at some point. Again, my headphones cut out, so I don't know if you asked me uh, a time frame, but um, if if you look at last year, it's pretty similar with Jack Cohn and Drew Pine in that everybody knew that Jack Cohn was going to be the guy, even if Brian Kelly hadn't said it yet. And I think it was a week and a half into fall camp, maybe two weeks into fall camp, he came out, he said it, he says, we've seen all we need to see. It would not shock me in the slightest, If it was a similar time frame with Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine, where Marcus Freeman gets up there, maybe the second time he speaks to us during fall camp and says, yeah, we've seen it, we know it. Tyler Buckner is going to be our starting quarterback against Ohio State.
1: So Tyler, do you think Drew Pine is locked in as the number two? Do you see any competition pushing him for that number two spot if everything else plays out the way you just described?
2: I think there's certainly competition. Um, Steve Angeli, the true freshman, looked great in the blue-gold game, and I remember showing up on the first day of uh, spring practices, and I saw Steve Angeli standing next to Drew Pine, and I was like, whoa, one of these guys looks like he could start a college football game tomorrow, the other looks like Drew Pine. And, again, this is nothing against Drew Pine. I've actually been a proponent of his if you go to blueandgold.com, read the message board. I love his moxie. I love what he did against Wisconsin last year, throwing a touchdown pass to Kevin Austin Jr., threw a touchdown pass to Braden Lindsay against Cincinnati in a losing effort that wasn't of any fault of his own in that game. He is what I would call a, a very capable backup. If Tyler Buckner gets dinged up, which his playing style that's certainly not out of the question, You'd love to have a guy like Drew Pine who could come in and and maybe stabilize the game if you're winning and and get you to the finish line or mount a comeback. If you remember, I I think Cincinnati was winning by two or three scores when Drew Pine came in, Mm -hmm. and he got it to a one-score game. So that's what you're looking for in a backup if, if you're calling on that guy. But I do think at some point, whether it be because of injuries or whatever other wackiness that happens with college football quarterback situations, we see it all the time. Steve Angeli could factor into this thing early on in his career, just because of the way he looks right now. He also carries himself very well. And he's a guy that, you know, if you're a true freshman and you're already number three, and there's some people talking about how you should be number two, you're, you're in a pretty good spot. So I would like where Steve Angeli is at, if I were Steve Angeli.
1: He's Tyler Horkin, Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, talking Notre Dame football on Budweiser's weekday sports beat on WSBT Radio. Now, recently I asked you what offensive player you were most interested in seeing in fall camp. And you surprised me with your answer. But after hearing your explanation, I totally get it. I'm on board. You mentioned freshman wide receiver Tobias Merriweather, someone you have not seen in person. So now let's go to the defensive side of the football. Al Gros defense. Give me the defensive player you're most interested in seeing in Fall Camp.
2: This one isn't as much of a wild card, but it's another true freshman. So I, there's something about freshmen. When you say the word freshman football player, fans are like, ooh, I think it's the intrigue. I think it's the suspense and the you know anticipation of what a player could be. I'm going to go with Jalen Sneed, the linebacker. If you remember when the signing class was wrapped up, everyone was talking about Jalen Sneed and like, oh my goodness, this is the top ranked player and a very good Notre Dame recruiting class. He's going to be that linebacker that is just flying off the edge, playing in the middle. If you need him to, he could line up on the line and rush the quarterback. He could do all these different things. I showed up at spring practice and I, I was kind of like, where is Jalen Snead? Which one is Jalen Snead? Somebody give me a number. I can't find Jalen Snead. So, I think he was a little, and the size thing. Everyone talked about it coming in. He he needed to bulk up. Probably still needs to bulk up. You could say that about a lot of true freshmen, especially early, especially early enrollees. So, you know, I'm not harping on him for his size, but you got to, you know weigh all of the factors here. And and this is Notre Dame football. And, you know, you're playing Ohio state in week one and you got to play Clemson and USC and all these different teams. So long story short, I'm excited to see Jalen Sneed because I'm hoping his body composition is a little different than what it was in March and April. These kids, I don't know what they feed them, but you know, they're feeding them weights and they get big (laughs) very quickly. If I could do that, I probably wouldn't be talking on your radio show uh, at, you know, on a Tuesday night, maybe I'd be playing sports somewhere, but that's a whole different conversation. I want to see Jalen Sneed look better than he did in the spring, you know, plain and simply. I want to see a guy who, when I see him practice, I'm like, yes, this is that guy who, when the signing class wrapped up earlier in the year, everyone was saying, that's going to be the guy. We didn't see that in the spring. I think a lot of fears will be, you know, mitigated if we see it in the fall.
1: I think you could go a lot of different directions with your answer based on all the different packages. You could see this year all the different personnel. I'm kind of curious to see the corners that are not atop the depth chart, how much they've advanced since last year. Can they make an impact this year, a guy like Barnes? So on the defensive side of the football, with all the different packages that Al Groh can come up with, I mean, there's just so many bodies that could – play an important part in this defense having success this year
2: absolutely uh you mentioned ryan barnes that is definitely one of them uh another guy that i was excited to see in the spring and and he wasn't my answer for your question just now because i saw enough in the spring was riley mills and if you say okay yes he's our strong side defensive end and then you couple the fact that isaiah foskey is your viper on the other side that's awesome um, how about a Jason Adamalola who we didn't see practice in the spring, but it sounds like, um, you know, he wasn't even mentioned by Marcus Freeman when we were in his office a couple weeks ago on the injury front. So, it's, I mean, I'm expecting him to be a a full go in fall camp. And if you remember what he did last year, I think he had the most quarterback pressures of anyone on the Notre Dame defense. And that's including Foskey who led the team in sacks with 13. Jason Adamalola hurried the quarterback more than Foskey. So, if you're remembering that you know you're adding that to the mix there's three guys on your defensive line who are you know top of the class everyone was talking about how Notre Dame could have one of the best defensive lines in the country I think you're finally going to see that this fall when all these guys finally get to line up next to one another and obviously you have to replace Kurt Heinis as well but I think Jacob Lacey is capable there and you've got a lot of other interior guys so You started this conversation by mentioning some of the defensive backs, and we finished it by talking about the defensive line. I think that shows you how capable this defense is going to be in Al Golden's first year as defensive coordinator.
1: The Superbook at Westgate Las Vegas says the team that has been bet on the most to win the national championship in college football is the USC Trojans. They're called America's team. I'm not sure when USC became America's team, but that's what they were labeled by someone today. Now, obviously, that is a lot of West Coast money that is – Hoping and dreaming of a huge season with Addison and Williams, all these offensive weapons coming to USC. The problem is with Oklahoma through the years, and you know more about Oklahoma being from that area, you know, they've had some great weapons, but their offensive and defensive lines sometimes get a, I don't know, not stellar, I would say, especially on the defensive side of the football. So if we're playing seven on seven, USC could win the national championship, but since we're still doing 11 on 11, That is, I think, a lot of people wasting their money. Eventually, I'm going to ask you a question. It's this. Who do you feel like Mm -hmm. is the tougher opponent for Notre Dame this year, Clemson or USC?
2: Well, I want to to say something real quickly to what you said at the very beginning there. And I can tell you that USC was not America's team in January of 2006 (laughs) when Texas (laughs) was playing them in the BCS national title game. I'll just get that out of the way. To answer your question, I think these two teams are really dangerous. And, you know, people have been throwing stones at me on the message board at blueandgold.com because of it. Because I think Clemson's going to be a lot better than people are giving them credit for. So we'll start there. They're going to figure out the quarterback situation. Either DJU is going to be a lot better than he was last year, or Kate Klubnik's going to be a very capable freshman. We see it all the time in college football now. You know, 15 years ago, people were probably afraid to start true freshman at quarterback, right? Tim Tebow didn't even start as a true freshman. Colt McCoy, all, all of these other guys. Now it's like, throw him in. You know, you're, you're only going to get three years or, or maybe two if he transfers, all, all this other stuff, put him in there. So maybe Kate Kuznick is the guy, but maybe the offensive line is better and DJ, you could be the guy. All that said, that Clemson game is going to be tough because they might have one of the best defenses in college football. And we saw what Georgia did with the best defense in college football a year ago and an offense that was... Pretty good, but not elite by any means. So um, I am a little worried from a Notre Dame perspective about USC because it's in Los Angeles. It's the last game of the year. Who knows what the stakes are going to be for that game for for both teams? Maybe it's high stakes for both teams uh, when you talk about the Pac-12 and and maybe Notre Dame trying to make it into the college football playoffs. So if I had to pick one of them, I'd probably say USC – because of the offensive weapons, because it's out there, because it's the last game of the year. Lincoln Riley is – you don't want to get into a shootout with Lincoln Riley. And if the question mark with Notre Dame is maybe one of the corner spots, and even the corner spot you feel good about, Cam Hart having to go against Mario Williams and Jordan Addison and, and some of these other guys, if that's your worry and you think it might get into a shootout, well, I think Notre Dame is going to lose a shootout against Ohio State in week one. You know, and maybe that's a blueprint for what USC could do in the final week of the season. There's a long way until Thanksgiving weekend. And quite frankly, there's a long way until Notre Dame plays Clemson too. I think that game is in November as well. So we're going to learn a lot in September and October, but Right now, I would say those are both very dangerous teams. I would say USC might be a little more dangerous on the road and being that it's the season finale.
1: If I'm not mistaken, November 5th could be a big day for the Irish. The Irish are taking on Clemson, and Irish fans might get to enjoy Alabama LSU also on that particular day Mm -hmm. because I think we know how that game is probably going to end up. All right, final question for you, Tyler. On the Notre Dame schedule, what game – do you feel like is going to be tougher than most people expect?
2: That's a really tough question because I feel like this Notre Dame schedule is a lot like a a lot of other Notre Dame schedules. And we kind of saw it last year going into it. You know what the hard games are going to be. It's Ohio state, it's USC, it's Clemson, BYU. uh, And I would, Pick this as the answer to that question, but I, I think people are already expecting it to be a tough game, so so in theory, it can't be the answer. And then all the other games, I think Notre Dame fans look at it, and they're like, we can win. You know, if it, What is that, eight games? Marshall, Cal, Stanford at home, especially. I think Notre Dame fans are all saying, we can win those, so I'm going to say it's the classic trap game where Notre Dame has to go to upstate New York, uh, a game that there's not a, there's not going to be a lot of fanfare. Uh, Syracuse is Syracuse. The week before that, they have to come back home and play Clemson, who I like. I told everyone earlier, I expect to be really good. So, the game that people are probably overly overlooking and is going to be a little tougher than some expect might be Stan, might be Syracuse, and it's it's not even because Syracuse has personnel that's scary. I think their starting quarterback is actually someone that I covered at Mississippi State, Garrett Schrader. He might be a fifth-year senior or something at this point. He doesn't scare me. I, I've covered him for a couple of years in college football. He's a gamer. He'll put his body on the line, but he's not going to beat you with his arm. And, you know, we were just talking about that's what's scary from a Notre Dame defensive perspective. The game is scary because you got to go up there and play that team in that environment a week before, you know, one of your biggest games of the year, probably the biggest home game, of the year for Notre Dame. So I don't really like Syracuse. I don't think they're that good of a football team, but I also don't like Notre Dame having to go up there and playing that team, Yeah, you know, in that part of the schedule.
1: Tyler, that $1 deal, is it still going on at blue and gold illustrated blue and gold.com?
2: It is go to blue and gold.com and you get one year of premium access. The message boards, it's mid July and the message boards are, uh, crazy that has a lot to do with Notre Dame recruiting and that's just another reason to go to com right now and sign up I know you mentioned that Mike Singer is on vacation but when he's not on vacation he's working extremely hard to bring Notre Dame fans uh, every ounce of information on the recruiting front and you know that's what kind of uh, feeds our site uh, you know, people are Loving what's going on with Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame recruiting right now. And if you're a Notre Dame fan, I don't know why you wouldn't. You've got the number one in class in the country right now. That's, <laughs> uh, that's pretty stout, and, and we cover it from top to bottom. So go to blueandgold.com. And I think, I don't have the exact numbers. it 46, 45 days. It's a month and a half. We're a month yeah. and a half away from Notre Dame football. So get in while you can. It's going to be an exciting season, and, and we're going to cover it like nobody else.
1: He is Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Thanks for joining me a day early, and we'll talk to you in your regularly scheduled spot next Wednesday at 6.07 here on WSBT Radio. Looking forward to that conversation. All right, Darren. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Tyler Horka, read all about it right now. Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Tyler has you covered on everything happening with Notre Dame football, there's Notre Dame basketball, Notre Dame baseball. A lot of things happening right now with Notre Dame sports, even though it is July the 19th. It is 629. Darren Pritchett with you. More Budweiser's weekday sports beat coming up in a moment on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Dan Show me the money. We go with We go with 6.36 on your home of tonight's Major League Baseball All-Star Game, Sports Radio 960, WSBT. My name is Darren Pritchard. We're live on 960 AM WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com. And the free WSBT radio app. We are now also available on the Twitch app by searching Sports Radio 960 WSBT. This is our sports wagering segment called We Go Into Sizzler. And let's go back to last night's program and recap the four suggestions that I offered to you last evening. And everything centered around the Major League Baseball Home Run Derby. Choice number one was a DraftKings bet. The longest home run in home run derby would be over or under 491 and a half feet. Based on Alonzo and Soto being in home run derby, I went over 491 and a half feet for the longest home run in last night's home run derby. Dodger Stadium, the ball does not carry as well as some of the other ballparks. But I just felt like it only takes one swing to put that big wallop on a baseball. So let's go over. That was the wrong choice. The longest home run, 482 feet by the eventual champion, Juan Soto, of the Washington Nationals. Choice number two last night was a first-round matchup between Soto and... And the Guardians, Jose Ramirez. I took Soto to defeat Ramirez at minus 190. It was a nail-biter. Soto ended up pulling off an 18-17 to 17 victory. He then beat Albert Pujols in the second round, who got by Kyle Schwarber in the first-round upset. I'm a Cardinal fan, but I'll say this up front. I'm not sure Albert Pujols beat Kyle Schwarber. Kyle Schwarber had... A horrible night swinging the bat. And his poor performance opened the door for Pujols to win. And sure enough, in that one-minute extra swing showdown, Pujols got it done and moved on to the second round. And Schwarber, one of the favorites, out in round number one. The third suggestion from last night's program, I took the Mariners' young phenom, Julio Rodriguez, to defeat the former Dodger, now Ranger infielder, Corey Seeger at minus 165, and Rodriguez won a shootout 32 to 24. 24 would be an awfully good number in most home run derby matchups, but not against Rodriguez last night. And the fourth and final suggestion from last night's program. Pete Alonso and Kyle Schwarber both advancing to round number two at minus 105. Alonso beat Ronald Acuna Jr., but the big upset: Schwarber losing to Pujols, and that was a losing suggestion. So we went two and two last night, two and two for the week, and for the month of July, just not getting it done. 23 and 25 for the season, 74, 62 and one, but the underdog hit again last night as this is the fourth consecutive show that my underdog pick has hit. And last night we went with Julio Rodriguez and Juan Soto, both advancing to round number two. I got that wager at plus 145, and that's a winner. Both guys not only advanced to the second round, they were the two finalists. So our underdog pick is now 18 and 14, So far this year, maybe I should just stick with that. Here we go with four suggestions for tonight's Major League Baseball All-Star Game. I mean, these are tough. It's an exhibition. Who knows what's going to happen? So take these with a grain of salt. I'm just playing the game because I pick four choices every day. Choice number one, I'm going to go against the grain, so to speak. Recently, the American League has been the dominant team in the All-Star Game. I'm going to say the National League wins tonight. The National League actually a slight favorite to win the All-Star game tonight. So let's go National League on the money line at minus 115. Although the top of that American League lineup is awfully scary. All right, choice number two for tonight. The over-under runs in the All-Star game is 7.5. The recent trend is has been all-star games going under at Dodger Stadium this year. The under has hit 54% of the time, and I think you also have to factor in there's probably not going to be a lot of offense early. The hitters last night were talking about how difficult it was to see the baseball in the twilight at Dodger Stadium. Same thing tonight. It's going to be definitely an advantage for the pitchers early on in the ballgame. Once the sun sets, the lights take effect. Then things could balance out, but I'm expecting the pitchers to have the advantage early in the ball game. So let's go under seven and a half runs at minus 110 for tonight's All Star game. The third suggestion for tonight since I picked the National League to win and under seven and a half runs, let's back those up with another wager along the same lines. I've got the America League scoring under three-and-a-half runs in tonight's game. Again, I'm factoring in the first three innings. It's going to be probably very difficult on the hitters. So let's go American League under three-and-a-half runs at minus 115. And the fourth and final suggestion for tonight, over the first five innings, or I should say at the conclusion of five innings, the National League will have the lead. So let's take the National League first five innings on the money line at minus 110. These four line up. It could be a situation I go 4-0 or 0-4. But let's go with those four. Nash League on the money line at minus 115. Under 7.5 total runs in the game at minus 110. The America League scoring under 3.5 runs at minus 115. And over the first five innings, the Nash League will have the lead on the money line at minus 110. The underdog pick for tonight... Let's just go with the National League scoring the first run of the ball game. National League scoring first at plus 110. Those are the suggestions for tonight's We Going to Sizzler sports wagering segment. The odds are courtesy of BetMGM. It is 17 minutes in front of seven o'clock. My name is Darren Pritchett, and you are listening to Budweiser's weekday sports speed on your home of the fighting Irish, sports radio 960 WSBT.